Let's go ahead and go to James, please. James chapter 1. Part of my introduction, I want you to follow along as I, as I lead into the message itself. But verse 18, we're, we're going to be preaching 19 through 27. But verse 18 is basically an introduction to, or a transition into these verses. For instance, verse 18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. The word here in verse 18 is a means of regeneration. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his, of his creatures. Of his own will he brought us forth. And again, this is confirmed in verse 21 where it says, the implanted word which is able to save. So this is the introduction. As we look through this passage, like verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. The word is a vehicle for spiritual growth. Verse 23 and 24, we see the word as a mirror reflecting our defects or our naturalness. For if anyone is, is hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and walks away. He goes away. Verse 25, the word is our guide for Christian living. But if he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is, of course, reference to the word, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. So verse 18 is introduction to the, the, the different aspects and emphasis upon the word of God, which leads us to the title, to be hearers of the word will be doers of the work. Warren Worsby wrote this, Many people have the mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon, a Bible study, is what makes them grow and receive God's blessing. It's not the hearing, but the doing that brings blessing. Too many Christians mark their Bible, but their Bible never marks them. If you think you are spiritual because you hear the word, then you are only kidding yourself. You see, too many of us, we mark our Bible. We'll have notes in our Bible or make other notes other places. But the truth of the matter is that our Bible never marks us. And I'll, I'll have a confession this morning. When I was preparing this message, this doesn't happen all the time, but this is one of those situations. I literally thought in my mind, I hope that couple, that individual is here Sunday because they really need to hear this. Now, I, I, my guess is a lot of pastors do that. But as I was thinking about that, all of a sudden, deep conviction came over and says, what if they're not there? Maybe you need to hear this. And so as, as we enter in and look at this scripture, these are things that we all need to do. These are things that I need to do. And the Lord's going to have to impress upon you if this is something that you need to do. How can I be marked? How can I be marked? Not how can you be marked, but take it personally. How can I be marked by my Bible? A man was recommended to a particular surgeon. He was a specialist. Arriving early for his appointment, he found the door unlocked and the young surgeon deeply engrossed in reading behind the receptionist's desk. When he didn't hear him come in, he cleared his throat, startled the doctor, looked up, and he closed the book he was reading, and the man saw that he was reading, had been reading the Bible. So he said to him, Does the reading of the Bible help you before or after an operation? 
The surgeon replied softly, neither. It helps me during the operation. Are we marked by our Bible? I'm going to go through these verses, and, and I'm not, not going to rush. I'm going to try to hit high points, though, as we talk about some of the words and the meaning they have, and make it, try to make an application as we go through. First of all, remember, this is about you and I making an application. In verses 19 to 21, I must, I must receive the word. And what I believe James gives us in these verses are, are four guidelines to help us receive the word. As you're here this morning, these things need to be in place for, in your life for you to receive the word. He begins off there in verse 19. He says, a capacity to hear, swift to hear. A cautious tongue, slow to speak. A calm demeanor, slow to wrath. A, clear, a cleansed life, lay aside of filthiness and wickedness. If you're going to receive the word, and if it's going to impact you, make a difference in your life, these are the things that you and I need to do. I, I, I must receive the word. These are the guidelines I believe that James is setting forth for us here. First of all, a capacity to hear. He says swift to hear. Swift has an attractive attentive attitude, eager, ready, full of anticipation. Swift to hear. Hear means to concentrate, to listen for comprehension, understanding. I want to be part of the dialogue. I want to be a participant. I want to know how to respond, to hear, to concentrate. That's the action. So what are the things that are keeping you from hearing? Swift to hear. Are you attentive? Here, to concentrate and listening, or is your mind wandering 100 miles away? And this is where, and, and when, when I enter a worship service, and when I hope you enter a worship service, to come with a mindset of, us, okay, God, speak to me today. What, what is it that I need to hear today? What one thing do I need to walk away with? There was a, a story, and I think it was Edward VIII, the king of England. He faithfully attended a preaching service. He made copious notes and it said then during the week he would pick out just one thing from the notes he had written to enact and put into action that week. As you come in and, and you hear, you listen, you're anxious, I hope, to hear the scriptures and to come away with at least just one thing that you can implement, put into action even this week. This week. What are the things that keep you from hearing? Second guideline, a cautious tongue. Slow to speak. There is more written about the use of our tongue or our speech in Scripture than sexual immorality. In fact, in this book alone, James refers to the tongue at least three, sometimes even up to four different times. Which says what? This is a problem. It is an issue. A cautious tongue, slow to speak. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. He who restrains his lips is considered wise. Verse, chapter 13, verse 3 in Proverbs. He who guards his mouth shall preserve life. Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool is considered wise when he holds his peace. Proverbs 20, 29, verse 30. Do you see a man hasting his words? There's more hope for a fool than him. Slow to speak. 
This is not a slowness of speech, but a slowness to speak. The third guideline he sets for us is a calm demeanor, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Slow. The opposite of rash, the opposite of rude, the opposite of reckless speech that is prone to wound will provoke animosity, at rather exercise restraint. Wrath is the word orge. It's a strong, persistent passion of resentment just smoldering under the surface with resentment, anticipating even the opportunity for revenge, slow to wrath. James here is not forbidding all anger any more than Paul did in Ephesians. He's not forbidding all anger. What he's giving us is a natural passions. Our natural passions can and must be brought under control. Our natural passions must be brought under control. Ephesians chapter 4, verse, I think it's verse 25, 26, be angry and sin not. See, it is possible to be angry. But when your anger, when does your anger become sinful? Or your anger will become sinful? When you let it control your passions. When you let it control you. So he's not condemning anger or forbidding it. But our natural passions, they can and they must be brought under control. A calm demeanor. The fourth guideline is a cleansed life. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Lay aside Similar to Ephesians where it says put off. It's to, to take off and discard. In other words, I take off my garment, I throw it aside. I'm discarding it. I'm not wearing that. He's saying, he's saying to us, lay aside similar to put off, to put on, the removal of sins that hinder the reception of the word. If, you were to, if we were to take just a moment and give you an opportunity to quietly put yourself in God's hands, and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. And lay upon your heart, what sin is it in my life right now that's hindering me from receiving the Word of God? What is stopping me from taking what is in the Scriptures and putting it into action to lay aside? Filthiness is outward actions. Wickedness is inward attitudes. Not easily defined used in reference to malice and the ill will, the attitude of the mind that is automatically bent towards inflicting injury. There's a whole lot of wickedness we excuse that even the world knows is inconsistent with a Christian life. Strip it away, layer by layer. The illustration, one of the illustrations I read was the onion. You know, as you take an onion and you peel it, it's, it's one layer and then you come to the next layer, and, it, and you get an, until you get it down to nothingness, you get to take layer half at a time. That's very similar to our Christian life. What is it that we, have, we, we need to strip away? And sometimes it, it's almost how like one layer leads to the next layer. I must receive the Word of God. A capacity to hear, a cautious tongue, a calm demeanor, a cleansed life. If I'm going to be marked by the Word of God, I must receive the Word. The second thing we'll see here in verse 22 uh, to 25, 
If I'm going to receive, or if I'm going to be marked by the Word of God, I must yield to the Word. I must yield myself to the Word. The captain of a ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message be received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored, so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman Third Class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. In the midst of our dark and foggy times, all sorts of voices are shouting orders in the night, telling us what to do, how to adjust our lives. Out of the darkness, one voice signals something quite opposite to the rest, something almost absurd, but the voice we hear is God's word. We ignore it at our own risk. I must yield to the word of God. James gives us, I believe, three requirements. Requires resolve, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It requires reflection, like a mirror observing himself in the glass, that natural picture. It requires a response, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. Requires resolve, doers, be doers of the word. Doers is continually, it's a continuous duty, it's a present imperative, it's personal, you, it's proactive, you do. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9, as the book of Deuteronomy is called the second law, what happened was, because of the children of Israel's rebellion, they were, the consequences of the rebellion was to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. In that wilderness for 40 years, a whole generation died. Everybody over 20 died. And so at the end of that 40 years, Moses delivers what's called the book of Deuteronomy, which is called the second law. And in the second law, then, as he presents this to this newer generation to make them aware of these things, he comes to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to read the scripture because of time. It's been called, that, that passage, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9, is called the Magna Carta of Parental Responsibility. Moses is laying the foundation for continued spiritual success or continued spiritual growth. That's what Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9 is. Verses 1 to 3, he said, you need to lead by example. Verses 4 and 5, you need to love God. And then verses 6 to 9, you need to live his word. We need to be doers of the word. If doers of the word, we're going to lead by example, we're going to love God, and we're going to live his word. We need to be doers of the word. We, we need, it requires resolve to be obedient to the scriptures and follow the word. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Self-deception, faulty thinking, faulty reasoning will keep us from that. A school teacher had lost her life savings in a business scheme that, has been, that was elaborately explained by a swindler. It was too good to be true. 
and it was. When her investment disappeared and her claim, her dream was shattered, she went to the Better Business Bureau. Why on earth didn't you come to us first, the official said. Didn't you know that the Better Business Bureau was here to help? Oh, yes, said the lady. I've always known about you, but I didn't come because I was afraid you'd tell me not to do it. That's self-deception, which he gets into really the next resolve here is the reflection. Don't be self-deceived. This isn't written for somebody else. This is written for you. This is written for me. Don't deceive yourself. You know what's true and what's right. The folly of human nature is that even though we know where the answers lie, God's word, we don't turn there for fear of what it will say, which leads us to the next requires reflection. For if anyone, verse 23 and 24, for if anyone requires Anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. I'd shared this illustration, I think, with you earlier. This is this primitive tribesman. The very first time he sees a reflection in a mirror, he breaks the mirror. What he sees is so hideous. He breaks the mirror and walks away. You can break, listen, you can break the mirror. You can break and interfere with the reflection, but it doesn't change the fact that you and I need to change. As we look into the scriptures and reflects back to us what we're really like, we may not like it, and we may want to break the mirror, but the, the word of God still t- stands and it's still true. It requires reflection. If, if I, I must yield to the word, and if I'm going to yield, it requires reflection. It takes, a t- it takes time for you and I to sit and reflect on the Scriptures and what it's saying to you, what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, what changes you need to make. The word hearer here is one who attends a lecture without becoming a disciple. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, not a doer, of course, reinforces what is already said. They're not really a, full, a follower or a disciple. Can we emphatically say such a person is unsaved? The answer, of course, is no. We don't really know, but this is what we do know. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11. Even a child is known by his actions, whether what he does is pure and right. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. A resolve requires resolve. It requires reflection to literally look into the scriptures and have a changed life. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and he walks away. Listen, don't walk away. This morning, do not walk away. The third requirement there requires response. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. And this he will be blessed in what he does. The word, this, is, this is interesting. I thought the word look 
It means to bend over, to look forward, to look intently, to examine, to look with particular interest. It's the same word used for John and Peter when they ran to the tomb and they looked in because they heard Jesus' body was gone. They searched the tomb. They didn't glance and walk away. They walked in and they saw the linen cloths laying there. They saw the body was gone. They saw the door was empty. They looked intently. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty, in our context, the perfect, perfect law of liberty is, again, the scriptures themselves, will be a doer. This is characterized by consistency, persistence, attention to detail, sensitivity to change. I came across this quote. What we hear in the holy place must be lived out in the marketplace. Requires a response. At the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Now, you may or may not respond with a raised hand. That's not the point. The point is we're going to give you an opportunity to reflect on the scriptures this morning and respond, what are you going to do about it? Because these hearers, these ones who looked intently in the scriptures, were doers. They were demonstrating their salvation experience. They were proving their faith. So, how can I be marked by my Bible? I must receive the word. I must yield to the word. And lastly, in verse 26 and 27, I must live the word. If we bring all that down to this, that final step, and how can I be marked by my Bible? We're going from theory now to practice. We're going from religion to reality. There's three principles, I believe, that are laid out here by James. Controlled speech. Again, emphasize on our speech. A compassionate service and a comprehensive separation. First of all, controlled speech. If anyone among you thinks he is religious does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own hearts. This one is religion, is useless. Religious, interesting word. A zealous, diligent, personal performance of religious rites and rituals that you could expect a religious person to do. Coming to church, reading as a Bible, being part of a core group, participating in the Lord's Supper, having been baptized, being a part of a accountability group. These are things you could expect a religious person to do. These are all observable trappings of being religious. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Those things aren't putting into reality your faith. This is the classroom. How do you perform on the playground? This is the crucible. How does that come true into your life in in a methodical, consistent way? I like the word bridle there. He says, anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. Bridle is a small headgear, of course. A harness that's put on a horse, this large, this powerful animal. The point Paul or James is making, and he says it later in James chapter 4, if we can control our tongue, we can, le- we can learn to retur- re- control our whole body. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and 35 says, For out of the abundance of heart the mouth speaks. A good man of good treasures of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man from evil treasures in his heart brings forth evil things. Useless. 
bridal, to religious, bridal, tongue, useless. This is worthless, good for nothing. You can discard it. We all need to pray with the psalmist, chapter 141, verse 3. Our controlled speech. It goes like this. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Please, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. More churches have been split because of uncontrolled speech than any other means. Yes, there's false doctrine from time to time. There are maybe moral issues from time to time. But more often than not, it's from people not controlling their speech. Gossip, innuendo, whispering, critical. Lord, set a guard before my mouth. Keep a watch over the doors of my lips. I must live the word. How can I live the word? Controlled speech. The second one he addresses there, also in verse 27, compassionate service. Pure and undefiled, that's uncontaminated, unpoisoned religion, the real stuff, the real thing. Before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphan and widows in trouble. Specifically, visit the orphan and widows in trouble. But there's also a general application here, and that is compassion to all, to the hurting, to the lonely, to the desperate or even desolate. A compassionate service, a willingness to put your your own thoughts, your own feelings aside to help others. In a book called The Taste of Joy by Kevin Miller, he wrote about a a wealthy widow who was found dead in her home where she lived alone. The coroner found no organic reason for her death. Miller commented, I think the cause was neglect. She was weary of setting a single plate at the table, fixing her coffee one cup at a time. Her last entry on her calendar was only one phrase, no one came today. See, nothing costs as much as caring except not caring. A compassionate heart or compassionate service. The last one is comprehensive separation. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. Two things I want you to know there. There's a personal responsibility you keep, and there's personal purity, unspotted from the world, unstained, unblemished, uncontaminated. The world is reference to a system of values and beliefs held by men alienated and in rebellion against God. I must, I must live the word. I must yield myself to the word. I must receive the word. Listen, if you and I are going to be marked by our Bibles, these things must be in place. In the forest of northern Europe lives an ermine, a small animal known best for its snow-white fur. Instinctively, this animal protects its glossy coat of fur with great care lest, lest it become soiled. Hunters often capitalize on this trait. Instead of setting a mechanical trap to catch the ermine, they find its home in a cleft of a rock or a hollow tree and daub the entrance and the interior with tar. 
Then their dogs start the chase, and the frightened ermine flees towards its home, but finding it covered with filth, he spurns its place of safety. Rather than soil his white fur, he courageously faces the yelping dogs who hold him at bay until the hunters capture him. To the ermine, purity is dearer than life. I must live the word. John 17, let me close with this scripture. John 17, 13 and 19. Let me give you a little background. Jesus is in the garden. He's he's getting ready to be arrested. And as he's there in the garden, he's preparing and he's praying for his disciples. And as he prays for his disciples, he says, But I come to you, These things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. The point I'm trying to make is this. Separation from the wickedness and filth in the world is not isolation. You understand that? Sometimes we get this idea, I'm going to separate it from the world and all the filth and stuff that's in it and the valleys and beliefs of these men that are wicked and alienated from God. Absolutely. But that does not isolate you. You and I still be salt and earth. You can be in the world and not be part of the world. It is possible to do that. I think of Daniel. I think of Joseph. Nehemiah. These are example after example after example. They were in the world. They were in in public ministry or public service, but yet they remained uncontaminated. Listen. I must live the word. I must must receive the word. I must yield to the word. And if you do that, and you change, you're going to make a difference. You're going to have a significant impact upon those in and around you, from family members to co-workers. I must receive the word, I must yield to the word, I must live to the word, if I'm going to be marked by my Bible. I'm going to close the service a little bit differently than we have in the past, or similar in some ways. We're going to take a few moments to pray silently. And you need and ask yourself, how am I marked by the Word? How have I been marked by the Word last week? How do I want to be marked by the Word this week? What is it in my life, whether it is reception or yielding or living, that I need to make a change in my life? to be marked by the word. What is it that God is speaking to you? What is it that he's speaking to me about? Then I will pray, and then I have one last reading I want to give you about the importance of scripture itself. So let's take a few moments. You pray silently. I'll wait, and then I'll pray. Father, as we, I hope, Lord, humbly come before you 
we contemplate the singing this morning of glorious things of thee are spoken in Christ alone, holy, holy, holy. Thinking of Job as he was actually confronted with you, Lord, I pray that you will confront us with your word today. Oh God, I pray whatever is necessary, whatever is missing, that indeed is necessary for us to be marked by your word, that you remove those obstacles, that we will readily confess those sin, sins or sin. Maybe it's the misuse of our speech. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe we need to have more of a compassionate heart and, and compassionate service. More maybe, Lord, it's the fact that we have looked in the mirror and we decided to break the mirror and walk away. Oh, God, draw us back. Just don't expose our sin, but Lord, through the Spirit of God, bring about change that we will actively pursue and enact what, what change needs to take place. Lord, just don't minister to us, but minister through us. That we may become not only the godly men and women, teens that you would have us to be, but Lord, also that we would, as a church, be a true lighthouse in this community. In Christ's name we pray, amen. How do you value your Bible? An unknown writer put it this way. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored, heaven is open, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good is its design, and the glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, it will lead you to Calvary, to an empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for eternity. How do you value your Bible? God bless. You are dismissed.